Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, well, let's look at the Word of God together this morning. As I said, if you have your Bibles, hopefully you've found Ephesians chapter 2. Ryan read the entire text this morning, so we'll just kind of uh, get into the text as we move through the points. But to kind of sum it up, all of Ephesians chapter 2 is dealing with the subject and the issue of reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation is a term that's thrown around a lot today in our culture, especially with uh, the recent events of uh, just the past several weeks. But reconciliation is kind of spelled out in two, uh, in two ways in Ephesians chapter 2. In verses 1 through 10, we see the reconciliation that must take place and needs to take place between sinful God and holy man. Because in our sin, we have separated ourselves from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible says sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so therefore, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life happens through salvation and through that reconciliation that takes place. God would be perfectly just and God would be perfectly righteous to leave us in our sin and leave us in our separation from him, but because of his mercy... He saved us. And to that we can say amen, right? So we see this individual reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. And that's an individual reconciliation that takes place. And we see that through receiving Jesus Christ. And it's a personal responsibility to seize that opportunity. I mentioned this last week, but I wish that it was set up that we could pass salvation and grace through hereditary means. I wish that because I'm saved, that through the bloodstream, my kids were saved as well. But that's not the way it works. If we're going to pass on salvation, we're going to pass on uh, righteousness to others, we're going to have to pass it on through the message of the gospel, and then they have the individual responsibility to hear and to receive the gospel themselves. So we individually have to be reconciled to God. But then in the text that we're looking at today, and we started looking at last week, we see that once we are reconciled to God, God then begins to work in us to reconcile us with one another. That we have this vertical reconciliation with God in verses 1 through 10, and then we see this this parallel, this, this horizontal relationship with one another. That because of the gospel of Christ, there is hope that we can be brought together as human beings in a bond of unity, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. And see, reconciliation is thrown around a lot like a buzzword today. I've said in meetings and in conferences, especially in the ministry circles, with pastors and church leaders talking about how can the church engage in racial reconciliation in the world we have around us. And and reconciliation can happen on different levels. We talk a lot about racial reconciliation today, but there's all kinds of reconciliation that can take place. For instance, what about the reconciliation between Lexington and Louisville? You know, Cards fans and Cat fans. Can those be reconciled in Christ? I don't know. I just don't know if that can happen. But we see reconciliation can take place between a lot of different groups because here's the base definition of reconciliation. is to bring two opposing sides or two opposing groups together as one in unity with one another. And so the text that we're looking at this morning and that we began looking at last week is dealing specifically with the issue of racial and cultural reconciliation in light of the spiritual reconciliation that's taken place between God and man. Because there was division in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that proposed a racial division, a cultural division that was going on in the church. 
It wasn't just in the church, it was taking place within the culture of the ancient world as well, and what was taking place, that the things that were taking place in society were spilling into the church as well, and into the mindset of the church, which is supposed to represent the kingdom of God. And Paul said this, Paul is saying in our text that when we are divided, and when we are separated, and when we are not reconciled to one another, it degrades the power and the message of the gospel from going forth. Because the gospel is more than just the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is an active force that's molding us and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ every day. The gospel, if the church is going to look more like Jesus, it's going to be because of the gospel. If you as an individual are going to begin to begin to act and to look and to love more like Jesus, it's going to be because of the power of the gospel. The good news that Jesus has pronounced life to all who believe. So Paul addressed it and said it was degrading the gospel message. And because of our division, the gospel could not be heard as powerfully and as clearly as it was supposed to be heard in the public square. And today in our, in our generation, we see that the subject of racism, racial division, all of those things are opened up like a hot nerve again, and everything seems to be pressing on it, and we're crying out in pain and in agony. And I believe this, that our text stands as a proof that God expects the church, Jesus expects his church, his followers, to lead the way in addressing racial division with the one thing, the only thing that can truly touch it and can truly bring healing and reconciliation, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that right there, if you're looking for a place to amen in church, that's a place to amen. God expects, he doesn't just suggest, he expects the church of Jesus Christ to lead the way in pronouncing the gospel of peace that speaks to reconciliation that we need. And see, we realize, and it would be irresponsible not to address the elephant in the room, we realize the tension that we're experiencing in our culture today didn't just happen when we heard the news of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery. The tension that we're experiencing today is part of a 400-year history of our nation, and it extends beyond our nation too. Because as long as there has been division, there has been there has, been, there has been this division. People have been having skepticism of one another because of color of skin and because of outward appearance and because of cultural differences ever since sin has entered into the world. And you know, we can stand back and look at our history and say, but look how far we've come towards reconciliation. You know, slavery no longer exists. It was abolished with Abraham Lincoln. Civil rights were brought into our culture with Martin Luther King Jr. We've seen our schools integrated. We've seen an African American hold the highest office in our land. But here's the thing, integration does not guarantee reconciliation. You see, you can change laws to bring about integration, but if you wanna see reconciliation take place, we need changed hearts. We need changed hearts if we want to see reconciliation take place. So I want to review this morning. We began looking at this subject last week, but I want to review, and I'm not going to re-preach the points. I know I'm famous for doing that, but in case you weren't here, in case you didn't get to tune in last week, we looked over four things from this text, and we're going to look four things today. We're going to look at five through eight today, but let's look at one through four again very quickly. The first thing that we saw that we see as, as bringing about racial reconciliation, reconciliation within our world through the gospel is, number one, we realize that we're not as, we're not as far apart as we think we are because we all, as humans, we all share the same need, or we all share the same problem. We're all sinners. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all inherited this nature from Adam. 
Because of sin, death entered into the world and death by sin. And so we all have the same problem, sin. And because we have this problem of sin, sin, its end result is it separates and it kills and it divides. So we have the same problem. So since we all have the same problem, the second thing we saw is that we share the same need. Since we all have the same problem, we have the same need, and that need is that now that we've been made far from God in our sin, we need to be brought near to God, and so enter Jesus Christ, and the cross, and the gospel, and salvation through that. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus, and Christ reconciles us to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, as our text says. And then we saw that true peace is only found in Christ. That need was taken place, that need was solved and provided through Jesus Christ. In verse number 14 of our text, we saw he is our peace. We've been brought near through Christ, and Jesus pronounced when he was here on earth, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So he is our peace, and true peace is only found in him. And our reconciliation with God spills into reconciliation with one another, and the only way that's going to take place is with Jesus. It's impossible without him. There has, this has to be the stance of his church if we're going to see real, true change occur in our hearts first, and then in the world around us. And then lastly, we closed out by seeing that in Jesus we're all made one. We're all made one in him. After we learn that he's our peace, we see what peace accomplishes. That he unites us as one together in his blood and in his name. Despite our differences, our earthly differences and our earthly distinctions, we're made a holy nation in Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile are brought together by the blood of Jesus. And it remains our command to be reconciled. So this morning we continue on with that, with point number five as we look at the church's command to be reconciled to one another, and we find that in verse number 14, and the point is simply this, is that Jesus will destroy the walls of division. When we are reconciled with one another, we see that Jesus destroys the walls of division. Look again at verse number 14, for he is our, help me out with that word, he is our peace, right? Who has made both groups one, and now we see what happens. Now that we're unified, what happens? The walls of division are torn down. The dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. I love that, that, that word, that dividing wall of hostility. Uh, the King James says, the middle wall of partition. Now that's referring not only to social walls, figurative walls, and metaphorical walls, but it's, it's also referring to physical walls. See, because a lot of what people were trying to do, especially the Jewish believers, they were trying to mimic the cultural tradition of what they knew in the temple worship of God. Because when they would come together to worship, whether it was at houses or wherever it was, when Gentiles and Jews would come together, they still wanted to follow those cultural things, and so they would have these partitions up between Gentile and Jew. Where did they learn that? They learned that from temple worship, because as the temple was constructed... The temple was constructed that you had different areas and different rooms and different levels of involvement in the temple. The, the one that we know about a lot is the Holy of Holies, right? Because the priest, the high priest, could only go in one day of the year on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice, right? And there was this huge veil that stood there dividing, us, dividing it off. But there was also a wall on the exterior of the temple that divided the Gentiles from the Jews. There was a court that the Gentiles could go into. But if you were a Jew, you could walk through the court of the Gentiles and then beyond this wall into a court where only the Jews were allowed to go. So there was this literal dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. It divided their races and it divided their cultures. If you remember the story from the book of Acts, when Philip was taken over to the Ethiopian eunuch, the, eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch had been in Israel or had been in Jerusalem for a pilgrimage, and he had come hoping to worship at the temple. 
Well, traditionally, he was only able to sit in the court of the Gentiles, and he was far away from hearing the scriptures read. And so there he is in his chariot, hoping to go home, but also hoping to understand what he, what he came there to find. And that's when the Spirit sends Philip to expound the scriptures to him. You see, so there was this division, and it was just brought up between cultural things and their cultural understanding. And what Paul is saying that when Jesus died, and because of Jesus and the peace that we have, we're brought in one together, the walls come down. The walls of division comes down. When the, when the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? When the skies went dark, there was an earthquake, and the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, meaning that man is no longer separated from God and needs an intercessor because we have a great high priest in Jesus and because we've been made priests on our own and we can boldly approach the throne of grace in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent in two, and Paul is saying that that veil, that wall of, of, of just physical separation needs to come down as well because we are made one in Jesus Christ. We no longer need that priest, and in the wall between the holy God and unholy, and here's the thing, if, a, if the wall between a holy God and an unholy man can come down, surely God can bring the walls between unholy man and unholy man down too. That's another good place to amen as well. You see, there's no, there's no denying that we have a lot of walls in, of division in our cultures today. The wall of racial divide is, seems to be growing higher each day. The wall between the African Americans, between white evangelicals, between white people not even associated with church, this racial divide is, is growing. The d divide between uh, law enforcement and the general public is growing as well. And here's the thing. We have to understand that a lot of us, because of the experiences we have and that we don't have, we're not going to be able to completely relate. The only answer to that is to begin to listen. But we can't listen in order to just respond and correct. We must listen with love to hear one another and then respond with the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what heals. That's what brings down those walls. See, Isaiah told us this, that no matter how much we may not understand one another, there is one who understands us all completely, and his name is Jesus Christ. Isaiah said that Jesus, the Messiah, is acquainted with our grief. He's acquainted with our struggles and our sorrows. He's a man of sorrows filled with pain, and he suffered every temptation we've suffered, but with one difference, he suffered it perfectly. So the fact that we need to understand is that Jesus, because of the gospel, breaks down the walls, literal, physical, metaphorical, sociological, he breaks those walls down. And they're all broken down because of the gospel that calls all of us who are weary and broken in our sin to come to him. The second thing that we see, or the, the sixth thing on our list that we're combining these messages together with is there's another wall that comes down, and that's the wall of injustice. The wall of injustice. Look at verse number 15. It says, Jesus made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man or one new nation from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. I love the way the King James says this. He says he has abolished in his flesh the enmity meaning that we were enemies in our sin, enemies in our sin divided from God and divided from one another. We talk a lot about injustice today. We hear that word. It's another one of those buzzwords that we see today all around us and hear all around us. 
But I submit to you today that the greatest injustice of all of the history of mankind is the injustice of humanity towards God. You see, because when God created us, he created us in his love with a desire of fellowship with us. And so he created us in perfect fellowship with him and in perfect harmony with him. And here's all he asked. He asked, just follow me, be loyal to me, and obey me. And what did we do? We rebelled. We committed the injustice of sin and rebellion. And because of that, we... Sorry, I missed that. Could you say it again, please? No, Siri, I won't say anything else. Just stay down there. If you're watching our live stream right now, my phone is talking to me. I'm not going to say her name again because she's going to call out again. But anyway, where was I at? Oh, yes, sin has separated. Sin has separated us. And because sin separates, justice has to be served. The injustice was that we rebelled against a holy, loving, righteous God. The injustice is not God's punishment towards our sin. The Injustice is our sin. And so justice has to be paid, and for justice to prevail, a price has to always be paid, and Jesus paid that price. You see, justice would be that because we sinned, we deserve death, the wages of sin being death, but because of mercy, this is God's sense of justice, he gives us mercy and grace. He allowed through Jesus Christ and through his blood and sacrifice on the cross to pay our debt for us to have forgiveness. Jesus abolished the sin of our flesh and the wall of division by taking our sin. And so he tore down that wall of injustice as well. He did it so he might reconcile both of us, both sides, all sides to God in one body. So Jesus brings reconciliation to God and to one another. See, right now in our fallen world, it seems like injustice is all around us. It seems like injustice rules the day and it prevails. I'll tell you one great injustice that I experience. I get really mad at some of you people that are skinny as can be and can eat whatever you want to and never gain a pound. I look at something that's got calories in it and I pack on pounds. That's an injustice, let me tell you. That's an injustice. Injustice is just the flavor of the day because we live in a broken world. Why? Because we were unjust in our sin. But God is working to reconcile and one day his justice is going to flow and nothing will stop it. But you see, his church is supposed to be different. His church, the embassy of heaven here on earth, is to operate by kingdom standards. That his justice is to reign supreme within his church. All of injustice one day will be cleared out, and all of our differences are going to be swept away. All the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Reconciliation will bring us all into harmony with one another, but this is what salvation already offers to us today to be brought into harmony with one another at the foot of the cross. I love the phrase that we see in scripture that says that Jesus has slain the enmity between God and man and between man and man. This means that there's no more enmity or hardship between man and God and salvation, and it means that the family of God, there's no place for injustice. I love what verse number 18 says, look on with me, for through him, for through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. That harkens back to the, to the days when we see in Scripture, when we see, in the, uh, when we see that the temple veil was written to, and we've been made a holy priesthood. It harkens back to what Paul said as well in, verse number, in, in chapter 5 of Romans when he says that because of salvation we have access to God. 
harkens back to what Paul says that we have our a royal and holy priesthood and we can boldly approach the throne of grace in prayer through him. The walls of division, the walls of injustice are torn down and we have access to the Father, equal access to the Father, be united in one spirit to Christ. There's no inequality in the eyes of God and he is always and continually working towards justice, his justice through grace and through reconciliation. The next thing we see is that Jesus brings true and lasting healing. Because if sin separates and sin divides, anytime you separate something, it hurts, right? Anybody ever, uh, anybody ever lost a, or had a, had a fingernail ripped? Or had a toenail, I had a toenail ripped one time in a basketball game. Hurt like crazy. And I can guarantee you, if somebody came up here today and separated my finger from my body, I would cry out in pain. Because separation and division cause pain and hurt. And separation and division have been causing pain and hurt ever since sin entered into the world. I'm only 40 years old. Well, <laughs> I'm 40 years old. I know it's hard to believe. I know I look not a day over 25. I realize that. But I'm 40 years old, so I didn't grow up in the 60s. I don't remember the civil rights movement. I remember reading about it in the history books. I never heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak outside of just videos and recordings. So my knowledge, my understanding, my personal understanding of the division and the racial problems that we see within our country kind of go back to the early 90s when Rodney King was beaten in Los Angeles. That's when I began to understand, oh, not everybody gets along with one another. Some people hate one another because of the differences they see in their skin or the differences they have in the way that they approach life. And since then, there's an overwhelming flow of cases and stories. And if you listen to brothers and sisters from different walks of life and from different races, you find out that there's different experiences in the way that you walk. It can lead you to the point of being overwhelmed and wonder what can be done. You begin to ask yourself, how are we going to heal from this? Is the division so deep? Are we ever going to be able to heal? Is we ever going to be able to see reconciliation take place? Well, I believe we find it through access to the Father in one spirit. Healing and help in time of hurt come through him. Ephesians, verse, Ephesians 2 verses 18 through 19 says, For through him we can have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What we need to understand is that as much as Satan and as much as our human system works to divide us from one another, God is working to bring us to him and to one another in him. He's always working and he's continuing to work to bring about that healing as well. Now, if you're like me, you're probably sick and tired of the news and the negativity that you see because you turn on the news or you open up Facebook and you think, no one is getting along with anyone anymore. If you're on social media, you open up Facebook. I open it up and I just, you know, I just do this. And I'm like, all right, I'm bracing for impact. What am I going to see now? How much junk am I going to see now? And how much more angry or how much more brokenhearted am I going to be when I close it out? Because there's just a lot of stuff that you see. And to look at it, you would think that we are being ripped apart at the seams. And in some ways we are. But there's also some things, some good things that are taking place. I have a friend who ministers in North Carolina and he posted a video because he, ha he has a friend who works at a church in Minneapolis. And during the riots, uh, or during the protests and the riots and the looting, 
that were taking place there in Minneapolis during the peaceful protest and then the criminal activity that was taking place and all the stuff that was going on, two churches came together, one that was predominantly African-American, one that was predominantly white and evangelical. They came together and said, you know what? He is our peace and we're going to take peace to the streets. And they, get, they went and they began just approaching people with the message of the gospel and people began to get saved there in Minneapolis. And so many people began to get saved that what they did is they set up a makeshift baptistry right there at the intersection where George Floyd lost his life and they began baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Light shining in the darkness. A little bit closer to home, just, just over in Madison County, I have a friend who serves as the director of missions for the Tates Creek Baptist Association. And when the Black Lives Matter group started a, or, or, or scheduled a march to take place in the city of Richmond, they were going to march to the courthouse, he saw that report, and so he called the mayor of Madison County, who happens to be also a pastor of one of the largest African-American congregations there in the city of Richmond. And he said, I want to try to bring peace. I want to see that these things that take place in our city happen with peaceful, in peaceful ways. And he said, the only way that I know to bring peace is to bring Jesus. And so he set up, they talked about setting up a prayer station along the march route. And so they were going to set it up right there at the, uh, at the steps of, the, of, of City Hall in the courthouse where it was going to take place. And when they got there that day to set up, it was too crowded and they couldn't get it set up. So they looked over and they saw just off the side of the courthouse was this shaded area under trees. And so they said, well, that's the best place we're going to be able to go. And so they set up there. They did not realize, and I was talking to Danny uh, Danny Davis is his name. I was talking to Danny the other day. He said, Derek, it was the providence of God that we were able to set up where we wanted to. He said, because where we set up was a place where the march route actually dead ended before it turned toward the courthouse. And they all stopped and they, they, they stood there before they, they together turned as one towards the courthouse. And so for a moment, we're standing there face to face with the, uh, with the march. And the march is standing there face to face with us with a sign that said prayer station over it. And all of a sudden, people began to break. It's like they broke lines and they began to walk over. And I held hands in the largest prayer circle I've ever held hands. And we began to pray for God to heal our city and to heal our our land. And they brought water and they brought masks and they brought tracks. And they said within, within 30 seconds, all the tracks, all the literature that they had brought were gone. They were just taken. And here's what Danny said. He said, I didn't want to go to be an activist. I just wanted to go to bring peace. That's what the church is called to do. We're not called to take sides. We're called to, to carry Jesus. We saw videos that were given of seeing just in our own city of police officers kneeling in prayer with protesters, praying to Jesus, asking for healing. Those things don't get the press a whole lot. We have to understand that when things are dark, light shines the brightest. Right, rays of light begin to shine through, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to do that. I pin this down. I don't have many original thoughts, but this is one that I had the other day. Church, we have to fight getting so wrapped up in the world's us versus them narrative that we, lose, that we don't lose sight of the gospel's us in him narrative. That's the narrative that we need to be about. It's us brought together in him. It's not us versus them. It's us in him. That's the gospel narrative. Verses 18 and 19 tell us that we both, both sides have access by what? How many spirits? By one spirit by one Savior who brings us together as one land to come before him. We're not strangers or foreigners, but we're fellow citizens and members of one household. We're members of one family, and we have to take advantage of the access that we have to approach him in prayer. 
We need to come together and pray for one another and with one another for racial reconciliation in our country, but we also need to do that within our churches, within our schools, within our homes, everywhere we are at. We need to come together and pray for one another, with one another. We need to pray for our law enforcement officers and with our law enforcement officers for their protection, for their wisdom, and for their hearts. We need to pray for our community and with our community that the love of Christ that breaks down the walls and unifies us as one in him will be the resounding message that everyone hears coming from the gospel preaching churches. Because it's only through Christ that we'll see the walls come down. Now, last thing Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us to bear one another's burdens. He calls us to bear one another's burdens, and we see that in the last couple verses, verses 20 through 22. Now, you won't see the words, bear one another's burdens, but what you're going to understand is that is the metaphorical understanding of what Paul is saying. Here's what he says in verse number 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. What I find really interesting is that Paul is talking about walls coming down earlier in our text, and now after those walls are destroyed in Jesus Christ, what does he talk about doing? Let's build something else back up. So the poisonous walls of division come down, and now we begin to build up something new, and what is it? The church of Jesus Christ. Not a physical building, but an understanding that we are, as the Bible says, we are holy and righteous stones that are fitly framed together as a structure of peace and reconciliation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're built upon the gospel of Christ, the message of the apostles and the prophets, as the text says. We're built upon the one cornerstone, one chief foundation, who is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we are all individual stones fitly framed together, and we stand with one another. And as we stand with one another, we're stronger together because we can bear one another's burdens. We stand upon the shoulders of those who have come before us, and we're going to pass a torch one day. And I don't know about you, but I want to pass the torch brighter than when I got it. And we need one another. You can try to stand alone and make change. It's not going to work. I can try to stand alone and make change. It's not going to work. But when we stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and we stand upon Jesus as our foundation and when we stand with one another united in him, nothing can stop the gospel from going forward because I've got proof. I've got historical proof from the word of God that says the church, the early church of Jesus Christ did this and they turned the world upside down for him. Say, well, you seem a little passionate today. I had extra coffee, so two services, two cups of coffee. And each piece is significant because we all bear the weight together. That means when I'm weak, somebody beside me is strong and going to help us to bear our burdens with one another. So as we close out this morning and move towards the invitation, let me ask you a question. Knowing that as this building that is rightly framed and fitly framed together, that in the ashes of all those walls that we built up ourselves, we're seeing this new wall, this new building coming up, the church of Jesus Christ. To bear one another's burdens. As the church, what burdens do we see around us today? The burdens within our community, the burdens in our nation, the burdens right here in this room or the burdens right there on the video, on the live stream? Are we seeing the burdens? Are we hearing one another, and are we helping to bear those burdens? Church, it's very clear that we are called to do this. And to him that knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. 
Next Sunday's Father's Day, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 2 has been the indicatives. This, it indicates where we stand with God, but then we move to the imperatives. What do we do now that we know where we stand? We're going to be called to action, to unified, loving action to make a difference for the gospel. Today we looked at this powerful treatise on reconciliation, which is really gospel reconciliation being lived out. But I want to give you the close of another, uh, I'm going to give you a picture as we close out this morning from the book of Philippians. We have a choice, and the choice is kind of laid out. What will we be? Will we follow the command that we have seen this morning, or we can do something different? And here is what it says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I, I've often told you, and I now say it again with tears or with grieving, that many today live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And they are focused only on earthly things. Church, that's not just talking about the lost. That's talking about even those of us who are saved who drift into a carnal mindset. We can be saved by the cross and then live as enemies of the cross. But the other option is this, to live understanding that, verse number 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait eagerly for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So the question I have this morning as we close out, what picture are you? I don't want to be called an enemy of the cross. You know what? There may be people who want to call, say that and they may call, call you that, but ultimately I don't want to be called an enemy of the cross by the one who went to the cross for me. I want to walk humbly with God and be led by Him every day to see the world the way He does and to treat the world the way He did. So the question is, what picture are we right now? The enemy of the cross or the citizen of the heaven that is awaiting and eagerly preparing for the Savior to return? So the question as we close out this morning is, If you're here this morning or you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, understand that right now you are at enmity with God. You are, the Bible says, an enemy through sin, but Jesus paid the price. He wrote the peace treaty and he says, all you must do is repent and trust me as your Savior and I will save you and I will redeem you and I will reconcile you to God. If you're here this morning or you're watching and you don't know Christ, today's the day of salvation. Be reconciled to him because without that, we can't be reconciled to one another. You might be here this morning or watching and you say, hey, I'm, I'm saved, but I haven't necessarily been thinking about the reconciliation I need to have with one another. I've kind of let the, the sin separating and the dividing and the choosing sides kind of carry into my spirit and it, it's killing me because that's what it will do. We need to pray, God, reveal if there's anything in me that stands in opposition to what the gospel is calling me to do and to be and to think and to hear. If there's anything that's standing in the way of that, remove it. Remove it. If you're saved but have not been seeking to reconcile with God, start today. It starts with just giving yourself to Jesus and asking Him. As we come to the conclusion of this week's message, we pray that it has ministered to you and challenged you from the Word of God. We would love to hear from you. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to www.gracewaylegs.org. Click on Contact Us, and we would love to have a discussion with you about your faith.
Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week.